You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, sitting next to my friend and co-host, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you techniques to improve your financial planning and investment management strategies. Um, We design the show for individual investors and also professional advisors. We want to share ideas and deal with what I would call the real issues of uh, accomplishing financial independence and making a lifetime of smart financial decisions. Is that correct, Ethan? Yeah, that sounds right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so today on the show, I would like to talk, Ethan, about uh, that. Maybe we could redo our little review of the portfolio strategy, some of the building blocks of a successful investment strategy. Jump and uh, market continues today. Was a nice rebound in the. In the market, it continues to be on the positive trend. And some of those asset classes that you've been encouraging people to hang on to, like emerging markets, have, have come back quite nice in the last month or two here. Correct. Uh, and for the second half of the uh, show, I thought we could talk about defining the retirement income issue and some different approaches. I've been working on a lot of research and uh, development on on reviewing our, our process and approach to, to figuring out how to pull income out of a, a savings search strategy. I, most people spend a lot of time just putting money away, but uh, don't realize how difficult it really is to determine the best possible strategy to withdraw and utilize that money. And I thought we could just kind of go break down and go over some of the, the issues at hand with that process. And maybe define a little bit about what good planning should include. So, before we do all that, Ethan, do you want to give out our contact information, etc., and so on? Uh, that sounds good. Yeah, as a, if you're listening to the show today and you'd like to ask a question, uh, or maybe you have an, uh, you want to send an email or get a hold of us somehow, you can reach us at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That you, that'll get you right on the show live with us here. Uh, if you'd like to reach us via email, that's fine too. It's a uh, contact at empiradio.com. And as usual, heck, you know, we, we do have a, a couple of books that we would be offering up to uh, any potential caller today as well. So if you have a question, give us a call. We'd love to, to talk with you. And by the way, it can be on any particular topic. If it's uh, on today's discussion, that's fine. If you have uh, something uh, that's maybe on your mind you'd like to talk about, you can give us a call about that too. Yeah, give us a call. Chime in. All right, Ethan. Well, let's start. Um, yeah, you know, again, I was thinking about um, our, our firm here over the last couple of years. We've developed uh, many different types of, of uh, portfolio strategies that we can implement for for individual clients. And I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time kind of reviewing that. That'd be great. Kind of the, the, what's happened here in the last couple of years in terms of the new things we're able to uh, to do and the considerations for those things in our portfolios. I think that would be a reasonable thing to do. We were in a meeting today with some investment professionals uh, down at the Charles Schwab office, and we were 
sharing with them some of the, the evolution of the portfolio strategies that we use on a very customized basis for our clients. So when we work with individuals, we, we build a strategy specifically for them. Um, we don't mix uh, like a pooled mutual fund kind of a scenario. We don't mix those monies with other clients' monies. They sit in our clients' accounts, and typically they, they are at a custodian, an independent custodian, like mm-hmm. a Charles Schwab, for example. Um, and and we come on as, as a limited advisor, and we connect into that account and start building a strategy. And I often say, Ethan, that the approach we take, we refer to it as an evidence-based approach to investing. And that approach is one in which I, I say, I was just in a meeting the other day with, with an investor, and I say, well, the well, way we got to the name empirical and the way we approach this investments is if you put the time and energy to thoroughly investigate, the best way to use the capital market research that's out there, the, the stuff that's backed by the empirical data, the scientific data that we have available on how capital markets function and how you would construct your own investment portfolio, our objective is that you would come to the same conclusions that we do. And uh, in the investment industry, certainly there are a lot of different opinions about how investments should be managed from just simple as, do I buy individual stocks and bonds? Do I do that out of context? Do I just do it based on whether that individual stock or bond seems to be a good deal or not? Mm-hmm. Do I time and move my monies in and out of the market? Do I avoid complete sectors of the market. There's a lot of debate, I guess, out there about the appropriate way to do that. And there really shouldn't be that many different ways to build a portfolio in reality for most individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my view, I think if you if you do the research, so it starts, maybe I'll kind of start with a broad overview and then come in with more specifics about how we got to the, the approach that we have. But it starts with an understanding of, of how what the key and most important factors are when determining your expected return and and how much risk you're taking. And if you're not thinking about that, if you're not thinking about the risk or your expected return, you're already kind of off the track. So if you just think investing is some completely random process where you just throw money at different things and hope one of them works out and in the end you become ultra successful or wealthy, you're probably off course. So the first thing is to really understand that different types of investments carry different types of risks. And it's important to focus on the risks, taking the risks that you have the highest likelihood or expectation, not the guarantee over a short period of time, not, uh, uh, hey, over the next week, I'm going to get a better return doing this than some other approach, but over the appropriate period of time that you have the expectation uh, to accomplish a, a specific expected return and, more importantly, a differential in return over some more aggressive or risky asset relative to a less risky asset. Mm-hmm. So it may be hard to tell how much stocks, for example, on a, on a, on a global basis would be buying a treasury over the next one month. It would be kind of tough. Um, it probably would be tough even over a 10-year period but is there a likelihood that you would have an expected return over a treasury from taking on equity risk? You should be pretty confident that there is, and you should have a pretty general idea of what that 
expectation is. So anyway, right. I'm, I'm talking in very broad terms here, but we take and say, hey, you're going to have stocks or growth type of investments, and you're going to have safer, less risky uh, fixed income or conservative types of investments. And I use those broad categories because not everything in the growth bucket is necessarily a stock or a company that bought, you know, and not everything in the conservative bucket necessarily has to be a bond. But those are the two most common. And so we say, hey, we need to have the ability to determine mixes of growth, aggressive growth type assets, and mix those with conservative. So we break that into two components. And so if we talk about equity portfolio options, all of our portfolios are, are based on some fundamental market research that we want to be globally diversified. Right. We want to have a strategy that gives us a very, very low likelihood of losing all our money simply because we over-concentrated into one stock or one part of the sector. We'd like to design strategies that give us the greatest likelihood of being successful in investing while not having to rely on predicting the unpredictable future, which to me defines what market timing is, pulling money in and out of the market frequently. Um, there are times when you want to change your exposures to these risky and less risky asset classes, but it shouldn't be purely based on the day-to-day financial swoons in the market going up and down. Um, in large part, it should mostly be focused as res- on your personal situation. So within the stock component, Ethan, the, over the last few years, the things that we've kind of designed are different types of stock portfolios rather than just having one model stock portfolio that every client goes into. We have different types of portfolios that are geared for different time horizons, but also for different levels of risk. The risks that we're trying to take in those stock portfolios, in our view, are what we would call rewarded risks. They're more kind of referred to in the academic world, I guess, as systematic type of risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is there are certain sec- segments of, of investment markets, like emerging markets, they're less developed countries. They tend to be more volatile. They tend to carry certain types of risk because of the risk, not necessarily because they just grow faster, but more importantly because they have that risk involved with them. Historically, they've generated a what we would call return premium over the developed, broader developed countries like the United States. Um, same thing when we talk about other aspects of stocks, smaller companies as an example value or what you like to refer to as low-priced companies, Mm -hmm. companies that people don't have a lot of confidence are going to have phenomenal earnings growth going forward. The market tends to compress the price down so that they have a a higher expected return so that if things don't go right, then an investor has a greater likelihood of being compensated for that. You can construct portfolios that have weightings, and I like to start with uh, taking a what I would call a neutral weighting even. You take the world, you kind of divide it up and say, how does everything weigh out? And uh, and then you say, if I'm going to make some changes to that instead of just owning the world as it, as it sits, you know, Apple, I think, is the number one stock in the U.S. market. Um, it's probably the lar- one of the largest positions in our portfolio when we, when we drill down into the individual holdings that are that our that our positions have, mm-hmm. but if we were going to deviate from that, we would make strategic weightings to these 
asset classes that we think will have expected return premiums over the general stock market. So we designed what we call targeted premium equity portfolios. That if you took the general U.S. market and you began to make weights to it, um, you can design a, a string of portfolios. I think we have a few seconds here. So when we come back, maybe I can explain some of the other components of the equity investing that we do. And, uh, and we can talk about that. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host Ethan Broga. Um, thanks for listening today, if you're out there. And once again, if you'd like to give us a call and participate in today's show, uh, give us a call. You can reach us at 866-472-5790 or via email at contact at EMPIRadio.com. And before the... Br- Really? A caller already? This is great. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, before the break, we were talking about um, – well, Kevin's giving a little bit of background, uh, sort of our uh, summary of our investment philosophy that will lead into the discussion about how we've, we've built and construct uh, the various types uh, of, of equity portfolios to start with. And then we'll move on to the, some of the fixed income uh, portfolios that we have and then some other aspects of our portfolio management. So, Ken, before the break, we were just getting to um, the point where we're going to talk about the weightings of the different asset classes, and we talked about uh, how we start with what the what the world is in terms of market capitalization, and start go from there to to round out allocations to other areas that may have higher expected return. That's right. We uh, 
I think the a good approach, and I'm I'm trying to convince our listeners here the logic behind taking the idea that um, it's a foregone conclusion that picking a small group of stocks out of the entire world of thousands and thousands of securities um, is probably not the best approach for the vast majority of us. As um, our friend Larry says, if you don't look in the mirror and see Warren Buffett there, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, and uh, and I often say, and again, I was in this meeting the other week, um, hey, if you're going to take that kind of risk, you're going to put that kind of uh, trust in your wealth in a single company or a handful of companies, why not um, do it in a, the company that that uh, that you're building wealth in directly, your company, your profession. Put that effort into your direct profession because at least you know, hopefully, you're not going to rip yourself off. You're not going to cook your own books. Right. <laughs> and so as, as efficient as the capital market system is, and I think the vast majority, um, I mean, the stories that we, we get in the media about the Enrons and you know all those kinds of things. Now lately, it's been the uh, financial, the banks, right, that uh, are getting hammered in the v- various movies and press. Right, but right. overall, there's a lot of very, very good and ethical companies out there. It's just very difficult to determine who isn't, you know, in advance, or who's going to get crushed by some unknown technology that's going to put their business model out, mm-hmm. um, or some other. Uh, lawsuit or some kind of ruling that um, sidetracks their otherwise great strategy, right? Or what competent? It's very difficult to eliminate that business-specific risk, and the, that risk that you're taking, you know, you're being rewarded to the same degree that someone who owns companies across the entire market should be rewarded. So I always say, hey, if you're going to take that kind of unrewarded risk. You might as well do it in something directly if that's what you want to do. You know, build your own company, start your own, and put the time and energy into that rather than eight hours a day trading in and out of stocks. Yeah, uh, clearly you have you have some influence over the outcome in that situation where it's really pretty random what would happen within a within a stock, right? Well, and you don't get paid for your labor capital in the stock market. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the biggest mistake that investors I've seen, particularly during the big craze of day trading in the late 90s, right? And I still see somebody just had here that I forgot where the commercial was, but there's some guy tre- teaching trading seminars, right? Um, I think Simon was showing us that. Mm-hmm. And as if you can make a profession out of that, just sitting at home trading stocks all day. And uh, what I'm saying is that the market... As you know, the capital markets, the, their, the, the power they have is you've got professionals sitting around doing this with very, very sophisticated computer programs, um, very, very equal and, and rapid access to information. The larger institutional monies control a big chunk of that. They can barely, uh, well, they can't as a group beat the market in itself, but yet someone who is trading out of their house is supposed to be able to compete with these guys. It's just, it's actually absurd. So what I'm saying is that you don't get rewarded like you do when you build your own company because when you do your own company, at least you're being, hopefully, you know, you're putting man hours in if you're working at the restaurant or whatever it is that, that it should be paid for for your time. Where you don't get that when you're trying to go against the market current by outsmarting everyone by picking Apple 
right now and saying, well, now I'm going to buy Apple because, and you fill in the blank, right? It's coming out with this new uh, iPhone 5 or whatever that's got the holograms and the graphics and stuff. Right. A friend of ours was talking about that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it's all great, and I think the company's great. My point is that everybody knows that information. So in order to really, really get ahead of the curve, you have to know something that other people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one way to look at yeah. that, too, when, when you're talking about a company like Apple, because it's, it's been in the news quite a bit the last couple of years and is near all-time highs now, once again, um, the expectations of the new products that are coming out, like and you just mentioned the Apple um, iPhone 5, I guess, with the holographic images and stuff, uh, I don't know much about that, but I do know that the whole market knows that information. And has already used it to price in expectations for future profits for the company. And that, in part, is what drives the stock prices up in any, any given period of time for a company like Apple. But the minute that they don't meet expectations, the minute that they don't meet the earnings estimates, and we saw this a little while ago, um, that it's likely that, very, very likely that the price would fall significantly right. um, because the expectations weren't met. And that's what happens when the, the company's a growth style company. They get a very high price to earnings ratio. And the minute that uh, they don't meet expectations. They get clobbered to get that XPE yeah. back in line. Now, Apple is actually trading at a very reasonable valuation co- compared to historic averages of technology or growth companies. It's like 14 times earnings. So a few months ago or a couple months, we were talking. I kind of was segmenting through the top 10 American companies out of the S&P and how high their dividend uh, yield is and how low, on average, um their trailing P, their forward PE and trailing PE ratios are. Now, that's a whole different discussion about valuations and PE ratios. But the point you're making, Ethan, is that when everyone knows that a company has got great things in the pipe coming coming along, um, that tends to get priced into the future expectations. It may be cheap because the entire market is cheap right now, right? Um, or it may be expensive at times that the entire market is expensive. But on a company-specific basis, those additional expectations tend to be known about and factored in. So right. if they don't meet them, then particularly on those growth-style companies that have very high peers, they get they tend to get crushed. Um, so our view in these targeted premium portfolios, right, that we, we're constructing portfolios that have very large groups of stocks – that have specific reasons why we would expect fundamental economic reasons why we would expect them to um, generate a higher rate of return. And if there is any free lunch out in the market, right, it's historically been that diversification rather than looking at each investment in pure isolation as if the other investments don't even exist, but if you do consider them as part of a group, as part of one big investment pool, you tend to get a smoother ride along the way. You tend to not miss out when certain areas are doing very well and, and others are doing poorly um, on being in the right, those those pot, those great areas. So um, we own a lot of those, and then we make very strategic weights to different asset classes to enhance the return over just a general market portfolio. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just do that, and we go back the last 40 years or so, you would beat the vast, vast majority of professional investors out there. Um, so if we're doing it for our clients, that means that we would have beaten most professionals, 90 plus percent, right? 
um, because most of them failed to beat, if you just looked at the S&P 500 index over the last 40 years, how many managers are, have a track record of beating that over the entire 40-year period? Um, yeah. But if you group together groups of securities, if we had access to all the indexes and we could construct portfolios and wait towards these, you'd have a portfolio in many cases that had about the same amount of volatility year over year, but had an increased return. And I, you didn't have to time it or not. You didn't have to pick only 20 or 30 or 40 stocks mm-hmm. to get that return. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot more controllable, a lot more predictable. Um, when you get to this structured asset class investing you, that we do, it uh, affords you a lot greater tax management opportunities and efficiencies. Um, so that's a whole separate area where people lose a lot of the investment return they do get to unnecessary uh, taxes like short-term capital gains, for right. example. So again, you want to elaborate a little bit more on the the targeted premiums. You know, in, in essence, we have uh, five typical portfolios that we could run, and they range in, in terms of risk from more conservative to more aggressive. And what that means to us primarily is that the, the less, the more conservative uh, equity portfolio would consist more of larger companies, more of S and P types of companies, with just a little bit ex- of exposures to small value in emerging markets. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, our portfolios anyway. Uh, certainly less S&P type of companies and more of the others. Yeah, more of the, the asset classes that would be more volatile individually, more volatile, more aggressive, um, but also have historically carried higher returns. Right. So you weight heavier to those. So instead of having zero emerging markets, you might have something between zero and 20% emerging markets, depending on what what area, what you were targeting. And in any case, the uh, the portfolios themselves have you know around twelve thousand securities uh, stocks in them, in and among the, the the funds that we're using. Yeah. So high high levels of diversification. And that's the next layer down is you go out and you find the most efficient investment vehicles out there to 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 target these these investment asset classes. So you focus on on investments that carry the bottom decile of expense ratio, right? Mm-hmm. The very lowest of low that are very tax efficient, maybe by the structure of the nature of how they're created, um, but also because of the, stru- the, the approach that they, that's being taken, that get out of the way of a lot of the traditional market inefficiencies. Um, we're, we're always examining and looking for those products that meet that criteria. Um, we want to eliminate as much uncertainty as possible. Right. So maybe when we get back, Ethan, and we got to take a breather here in a few few seconds, we could talk a little bit about some of the other customization that we can then bring now that we've kind of laid the groundwork with the targeted premium into the equity, talk a little bit about fixed income and some of the other unique things we do for clients to help them manage risk or, or get through difficult times, if that were the case. Sounds great. So I guess we'll take a, uh, a small break, and we'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network we spend 70 percent of our week in the office what is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it the number one motivator is a positive work environment 
And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host Ethan Broga, alongside, actually across from uh, Ken Smith. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening today. If you're out there, and once again, if you'd like to give us a call, uh, you know, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. We were just talking about uh, our portfolio construction here at Empirical Wealth Management. Actually, uh, talking a little bit about the philosophy uh, that we get, get, goes into um, our portfolio construction. We call it an evidence-based approach. Talking more specifically about the targeted premiums that we we use to construct portfolios. Uh, again, that just means targeting specific asset classes that have higher expected returns. Um, and then we're going to dive, dive into some other portfolio customization that we can bring to clients as well. Ken, what's next for us? All right. And I just want to say, Ethan, if, if you're interested in talking with us specifically in more details about how these portfolios resign and why, what's all the research behind them? Give us an email. Send us an email or call us. Uh, you can email me directly at ksmith at empiricalfs.com um, or call me directly, Ken Smith, at uh, two, or 800. Here at the firm, the number is 800-923-4307. You can get a hold of us uh, wherever you are in the country. We work with clients all over the country. So, um, anyway, we're not going to try to you know, sales pitch you into our stuff, but we'd be happy to share to know that you're listening and share why we think, and not only us, but some of the brightest people in the world think that this form of investing is gives you the greatest chance of being successful. It still requires a lot of discipline, and it does require knowledge and a, and a commitment to staying educated, mm-hmm. even to remind your own yourself when times get tough or when times get overly optimistic, uh, why you built your strategy the way you did and the time frame and the way this thing should perform. 
So anyway, uh, once you've done that, Ethan, with those, uh, we talked about the targeted premium portfolios, you can add socially responsible or environmentally sustainable. Um, you can bring that into the portfolio to reflect your personal values. And so socially responsible, they're, they're taking these strategies, these very diversified strategies, but then they're saying, hey, we might ex- exclude sectors like tobacco or gambling, weapons manufacturing. Uh, what is conventionally been defined as more socially responsible investing? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the diversification and the way it's done within the investments that we use, we don't necessarily expect to lo- take on a lot of additional risk to, to put this in. Uh, we may lose some of the ability because we're going to miss out on certain companies to capture all the market returns that we would typically like. But that sacrifice is a lot less than how it when these funds first came out right. were developed several years ago, yeah. you really had to make a huge sacrifice in terms of market uh, opportunity and potential additional risk because you're excluding major areas in a lot of companies. Yeah, and I, well, I remember you know, year, years ago, well, not, not, it's actually not so long ago, before these came out, the, the funds that we used, the, the expenses involved in, in owning socially responsible mutual funds or environmentally sustainable mutual funds were enormous. We were talking higher than average for those types of funds, and that obviously is a big drag on the returns. But with, with now the, the tools that are available out out there now that we can utilize, um, they're really not sacrificing anything in terms of expense. So it, it, it's a big hurdle that's been overcome with these. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that if you're interested in knowing how we how we implement that. Again, call cause uh, environmentally sustainable. So what that means is these are portfolios that. Again, you're taking your idea of global diversification. We we can implement a tilt towards environmentally sustainable. So they're overweighting companies with practices that promote environmental stability or sustainability. Um, so they de-emphasize companies that aren't as responsible um, to, with regard to their effect on the environment mm-hmm. and overemphasize companies that are. Um, so it's it's really exciting that we can implement those types of values into a client's portfolio, but do it in, as advisors that are primarily we're concerned about risk management and uh, and what's available in technology of some of the investments that we have access to now is great. It's it's very uh, rewarding to be able to do that. Recently, we've um, also. Uh, created an income-oriented model. So we call it our targeted premium dividend model. So some investors, we've written a couple papers about this, uh, have a preference. It's in the media a lot right now about focusing on dividend-paying stocks or higher dividend-paying stocks. Now, traditionally, we've had a big problem with that um, because traditionally, you either had to buy individual securities right, to do this or you had to rely on strategies that tended to be very concentrated. And so right. I had talked about in our paper the origination of the dogs of the Dow strategy. Mm-hmm. That uh, a guy, I think his name was Mike Hennessy, wrote a book um, outlining the strategy back in the 90s. Um, and it was 10 stocks, basically, in hindsight, showing, well, if you had bought the top 10 dividend-paying stocks of the Dow Jones Index and rebalanced once a year to whatever the next top 10 are, you would have outperformed the market substantially. Um, it's there's issues with those types of things. So, 
Um, one, you have to get to any strategy that you look back into the past and say, well, this strategy generated a higher return. You have to be very cautious of a couple of things, Ethan. Do you know what those are? <laughs> Tell me. Oh, okay. You're on the edge of your seat here. I can't wait. Well, number one, if you can't figure out or fundamentally explain why the return is there, um, that makes me nervous. So it happens to be like the Super Bowl thing, right? Back right. in the day when the AFC and the NFC. Every time one of the one of the teams from one of the divisions wins the Super Bowl, the market tends to do uh, good that following year. I can't fundamentally link that to any rational economic theory, right? Um, so therefore, I'd be very, very cautious about implementing it as a strategy and borrowing money and leveraging myself to the hilt, even if it's worked in the past for every single year, right? <laughs> right. I can't quite get my arms around it. Um, it could just be uh, a totally uncorrelated coincidence. That happens out in the, in the in Indeed. statistics right. all the time. So that would be one thing I'd, I'd need to really understand, right? And do dividends, are they really the explanation um, for why those companies had higher rates of return? It may not have been the dividend characteristics. In fact, what a better explanation may be is that they tend to be those value or low price type companies. Um, and so there are certain risks inherent in those stocks. And that dividend policy alone shouldn't explain the differences between two companies and their returns. Mm -hmm. um, maybe investors during different time periods have general preferences toward or against specific types of companies. And in the short term, that could certainly drive some returns. Um, but in a long-term strategy, right, it really – that should equalize itself out. Right. So the uh, so the, the, the moral of that story is, well, there, ne there shouldn't necessarily be a penalty either um, for, for receiving dividends, you know, it's not that you, other than the tax treatment. So that would be one reason I was saying when investors, when, when all dividends were taxed at ordinary income, um, it was actually quite became un, very unfavorable to be paying out a large amounts of dividend. Yeah, huge difference in tax with the long-term capital gains rates versus short-term. Yeah. So why we have that approach is it does make sense that if you have a preference to receive a greater portion of your equity return in the form of a, of a dividend payment, then I can see where that might be a logical preference. Not because you expect a higher return. And the other major flaw in the thinking on the dividend strategy is that somehow it eliminates risk. And we proved just by looking at uh, some of the dividend strategies and how they did during the crisis that they went down just as much as the rest of the stock market did. Um, that wasn't a great risk management system. Because companies can stop paying dividends. They can change their dividend policy. Right. It doesn't mean they can't go out of business because they paid a dividend. There's a whole list of reasons why it's not a great risk management technique. Yeah, and in our the letter that was uh, that we wrote last quarter for the quarter end, we demonstrated that over through the crisis, if you had a dividend paying portfolio versus a sort of a standard equity model, and then versus uh, the S and P five hundred, you can see the volatility in each of those three portfolios are it's virtually identical. They, they went down just as much as the market did, pretty much. Um, so it isn't a risk protection um, way of investing per se. It's just like you said before, um, how do you want to receive your you know, your growth over time. Is it through dividend or is it through um, you know, deferred growth? Yeah. And then that letter, by the way, is posted to our, our website, I'm sure, right, Simon? 
sure that it is. So, so if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to our website. I think he's texting, he's <laughs> updating his Facebook here. <laughs> uh, um, EmpiricalFS.com, and uh, you can check out our most recent quarterly letter about this t- this issue. So why now then? You know, I, like I said, we were skeptical of, we've been skeptical. Well, part of the reason, again, was the vehicles out there to get diversification mm-hmm. A lot of times limited us to just large U.S. stocks. Right, right. Um, you would completely avoid small company stocks, which is a real base to this whole targeted premium idea, right? We were just saying right. emerging markets, um, international, we want we want to have that exposure, REITs, other things, small company, small – well, you would miss out on a lot of that. Well, now, in recent times, their technology has evolved and the products are finally catching up to the research. Mm-hmm. I find that that the products tend to trail the research on these kinds of things. But now we have that ability, and so we felt comfortable creating that strategy, not because we think for any given targeted premium by putting in the targeted dividend uh, will somehow enhance the return or minimize the risk, but it will allow the client to have that preference of receiving a, a greater portion of their equity return in, in income rather than capital gain if that's what they want. I'd recommend doing it in an IRA, if possible, where the where the dividends can um, avoid taxation. But that's that's out there. Yeah, and one more thing on that, Ken. Um, okay. In terms of uh, understanding the importance of the of the structure of the portfolio itself, in our view, in my view, it is important to include always include exposures to small companies and, and not sacrifice your your portfolio construction for the for chasing dividends. Yeah, for the sake for. of chasing some. Holy Grail that right. that hasn't been proven to effective. And just as an example, today's market um, is a, is a good example of why you know market is up today in general. Uh, the Dow is up about 123 points today. It's about one percent, um, which is great. I mean, everybody likes an up day, which is nice. But interestingly, along the lines of, of small cap, uh, small caps today, as a general rule, there's an ETF I'm looking at here. We're up 1.79 percent, and micro cap stocks just today, 2.15 percent. So you can see, even in short periods of time, these these risk, you know, premiums uh, manifest themselves in terms of market movements on a daily basis. Sometimes, excellent point. Once again, Ethan. Well, when we come back, let's talk about fixed income options, he- options hedging, and uh, some tax loss and tax management strategies, and, and maybe rebalancing if we could squeeze it all in. I don't know if there'll be enough time. I'm not sure. We'll be right back. <laughs> When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Back in action, Ethan. Let's... uh. Let's try to step up the pace a little here. I want to get through uh, this material. I think it's high quality, and we we need to get it through it. So we're talking about, at the break there, um, the uh, targeted premium dividend models right. that we've created to sure. match up with our globally diversified portfolios of varying weights to premium uh, or riskier and less risky investment asset class on the equity side. So what uh, about options hedging? Well, um, you know, when we went through the downturn, we've gone through two major downturns now, Ethan, since we've been doing these types of portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're meeting with new clients, I think the clients, the individuals who haven't had a lot of time to absorb a lot of the, the correct information about how markets work, I think, um, they they may be apt to make hasty decisions during market um Swings, particularly downswings. Let's just be honest. Um, so, one of the things that you can do, rather than if you look at 2003 through 2007, some of these equity models, just a base equity model, it's something like 19% a year, right? Yeah, that's a lot of built-in gains at the end of the, that's over you know several years. That's quite a bit of gain uh, built in. So then the market starts to get. We go through the, this other the second downturn here. Um, if you had been putting cash in, that's a lot of tax that you're going to recognize. So one option, plus if the, when the market rebounds, if you don't get out at the right time exactly, so say you get out in March of 2009 or February of 2009 right before the bottom and yeah. subsequent increase of almost 100% on some of this stuff, uh, you lose out big time. You pay taxes and then you miss out when the market rebounds. So one option is for each of the portfolios – uh, we can put in an options hedge. So you can buy what's called a put put options. They give you the ability to sell a security um, up to a specific time period at a given price. So commonly you see them on, they begin on individual stocks. So we're talking about Apple. If Apple was trading at $500, you might be, and you own it, and you bought it, say, at 200 and a lot of times traditionally in the brokerage world would be a situation where it's like, well, I don't want to sell it, but... I don't want it to go down too far. So if the stock declines down to 450, I don't want to lose any money beyond that point. Um, what you could simply do is buy a put that gives you the right to sell that stock to the purchaser of the of uh, to the seller of that put um, for the 450 bucks. So even if it went to zero, your your minimum sales price is 450. That concept can work on a very on a portfolio basis. A lot of times clients come to us with their own individual securities that mm-hmm. they've accumulated over the years. And we start to talk about, well, we, maybe we need to manage some of the risk here. You know, if it's all in one stock, that's a lot of risk. Um, and we could certainly put up what we call an options hedge to manage out some of that risk. Or if there's a temporary reason, and I, because of the cost, the time premium that you pay with these options, it's not a great long-term indefinite strategy. It's more or less a strategy that would get you through a specific period of time at a very reasonable cost without giving up any of the upside. Right. So in that example, 
with the uh, Apple stock. If Apple stock goes to $1,000, um, all you lost was the price you paid for the put. So you know, maybe you paid 5 bucks a share for the put. Yeah, a bit of like an insurance premium. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So now you come over to fixed income, Ethan. Okay, let's do it. Uh, we got a few. We got a few minutes, give or take. Um, so now what we've we've done is just said, hey, there are different ways of viewing fixed income markets, and you really should understand that again. Here you have a similar risk return relationship, and if I took the total bond market and I dissected it, I have a good idea of what the market is consist of with corporate bonds, with government bonds with agency bonds, all that kind of stuff, right? And so a truly passive portfolio or an index-type aggregate, they call it portfolio, would just kind of own or try to own a good representation of what the bond market looks like with some certain limitations in there. Um, If you are going to make some changes, right, you might be all treasuries, for example, if you wanted to be very, very conservative. Mm -hmm, You don't want to have any chance of default Regardless of what everyone thinks about that, it's very unlikely that a home country would default on its own debt if they can just print more money to pay in their currency. So very unlikely that holding treasuries, you're going to see a default versus holding a very risky uh, bond uh, from, say, a a very unstable corporation. Mm -hmm. So it will be called a junk bond, for example. Um, So you can... And there's different levels of those corporate bonds, right? They're different rating systems right? Um, from very high quality and even within the high quality range down to all of the bottom quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you are going to take on additional credit risk, uh, you should do so within some kind of a framework that you start with, just like we did on the equity side, right? You start with some model that kind of represents what's going on in the bond market or starts with some very conservative position and then would layer in additional risk for an expected return. You know, if I don't have a higher expected return, um, then, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. And so here again, I, just because I could go out and buy a single issue of a junk bond, probably not the greatest strategy if I can own an entire segment or an entire portfolio or basket of those. Right. Um, furthermore, do I want to own those? As the entire part of my bond portfolio, do I want to own all junk bonds as an example? Well, maybe not if you already have a lot of equity risk. You know, maybe it, maybe if you're getting your returns, a lot of your growth from stocks, maybe you shouldn't have it all in high-yield bonds just because you're getting a, a few extra percentage points, right? But maybe there are some portfolios in between. And that was the concept we have. Is, hey, different people have different time horizons. They have different tolerances for risk on the equity side there may be some uh a intelligent way of building and and changing the exposures you take to the bond risk to enhance the yield to maturity Mm -hmm. after accounting for your expected return the uh you know the default risk and all that kind of stuff so we have a variety of those as well um same thing on the tax-free side. You know, you can construct different exposures to different levels of credit in the municipal bond markets and tax-free. Right. And you can build individual bond portfolios relative to ETFs, exchange-traded funds, or uh, open-ended mutual funds, traditional mutual funds. So your building blocks can be a combination of individual bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. Our view is, though, you don't 
take strategies that try to swap in and out of a lot of different types of bonds, hoping to beat the stock or the bond, uh, the bond market at at large. Right. Um, they have a harder time doing that than the stock guys, and all of them have very very poor track records of doing that. So it's it's more important to make the most out of the structure and the engineering of how you're designing these portfolios to have higher returns than it is just having no strategy and bouncing all over because you think you're going to outsmart the bond market. Right. Other things we do, Ethan, that I think everyone should be looking at in taxable accounts are tax loss harvesting, actively taking losses and positions throughout the year, not just at the end of the year, but all year long. If your advisor's not doing that, if you, or if you're not doing that, you're probably missing out on opportunities. Asset placement, putting the right investments in the right types of accounts to maximize the tax efficiency. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're running out of time, but the uh, rebalancing method. How do you rebalance? You always talk about how important it is to rebalance your portfolio. Right. Um, there are different methods or approaches to that. We use one that isn't simply a time-bound strategy every quarter or every an- annual. Um, you lose some efficiencies there, transaction costs, taxes, all that kind of jazz. So we use more of a targeted risk approach where we have, for every investment asset class, we have a specifically targeted range that it, that asset class could move. And only when it breaks that range would we rebalance back to the original targets. And what that does for you, whether it's between stocks and bonds or among your stocks and among is it minimizes unnecessary uh, transactions, but allows you to rebalance and let that rebalancing do what it should do, which is keep your risk objectives in line and sell high and, and be buying lower. Yeah, that's the, a lot of the, the the discipline that goes into managing a portfolio, That and that's some of the benefit of having a, a structure like ours, is that you're never at a loss for what to do. You, you follow the rules, you, you're disciplined about the implementation, and then over time, you, you simply reap the better better returns as a result. All right. Well, Simon, are we out of time? Approximately 30 seconds. So if you want to get a hold of us, at the, at, again, at Empirical, um, I'll give you my email. It's ksmith at empiricalfs. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S for financial services, dot com. Uh, we have uh, an affiliate company in Portland. That we work closely with. So if you do Google searches, you might see two or two real empiricals. Uh, there's been several imposter empiricals popping up around. It. <laughs> but um, we are the real the real deal here. And you can reach us at 1-800-923-4307. Thank you. Uh, we hope you got at least a couple of e-nuggets of information out of this. Nice. And uh, we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.